shout of praise? Amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, my name is Byron. I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. If you are a guest, welcome. Hey, church, can we just give it up for our guests today? Thank you guys so much for joining us and for those who are watching online. Welcome today. We are continuing our sermon series that we are calling Let Us Worship. Who loves worshiping? Anybody? We got some worshipers in the house. You ain't got to be good at singing, but it is important to be good at worshiping. Amen. And we're doing this series for a couple of reasons. The, the first reason is that come Easter time, we're going to be starting an 80-week sermon series. That's right. Through the book of Acts. We are a Bible teaching, preaching church. We've done about 13 books so far here. My goal as a pastor is by the end of my life, I will be able to say what Paul said, that I did not fail to preach the full counsel of God's word. And so my life goal is to preach verse by verse from Genesis through Revelation by the time that I retire. That's my dream. And in order for us to do that, there are some cultural issues that we need to address to set a culture first as a heart of worship for you as individuals, but also a culture for us as a church that loves to worship. Worship is the first of our core values here at Redemption because we believe that when you put God first, the rest is blessed. And so worship is putting God first in our lives. And so we're gonna learn about uh, a heart of worship. The other reason we're doing it is because a church our size, there are many people from different backgrounds, different upbringings, or different traditions. And coming into redemption, the way we worship might be a little bit different than what you've experienced. For those of you who grew up very charismatic Pentecostal, where are my charismatics at? Woo! Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Save, save the tongues and tambourines for first Wednesday, okay? Um, but for those of you who grew up charismatic, uh, you might think that our worship is not expressive enough. You're like, why don't you turn it up to 11? We're going to talk about that throughout this series. And then others of you grew up more Baptist uh, or traditional. And so while we lift our hands, while we worship with exuberance, the lights, the, 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 the worship team, or maybe us clapping offbeat, you know, that might be a little bit new for you. And so what we want to do is we want to bring everybody together under the unity of God's word, because I believe that God is building this weird, crazy, funky, eclectic church in the heart of downtown called Redemption Church. Amen. And so we're going to be studying this uh, for the next couple of weeks about let us worship. And if you have your Bibles, turn me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where the sermon today is called, How is Worship Spiritual Warfare? Open up your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You're wondering, where is 2 Chronicles? I'll tell you, it is after 1 Chronicles, okay? Um, and go ahead and find that. And while you are finding your place here, we're going to be talking about how worship is warfare. Now, if you grew up in church, then you're probably very familiar um, with these Bible verses that are all about the love of God, right? We all know that God loves us. As a, as a kid, you learn, Jesus loves me. This I know, right? You know that God loves you. Maybe you're familiar with this Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord that they are plans of welfare, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You're like, I got that tattooed on me when I was 18. I didn't get that tattooed because I'm not a basic white girl, but maybe you did. Um, 
Or maybe you know 1 John 4, 16, that pure and perfect love casts out all fear. Or this one where it says, so we have come to know the love that God has for us, for God is love. We love that. Or maybe John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so what? Love. Love the world, right? And God does love you, but many people have not been taught that Satan hates you. See, yes, God does love you and he has a great plan for your life, but Satan hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. You need to know that it's not just you and Jesus, that there is an enemy that wants to lie, still, kill and destroy you. See, a lot of times people are like, well, I gave my life to Jesus, right? You hear that altar call, give your life to Jesus. And when you die, you go to heaven. And you're like, that sounds amazing. And then you give your life to Jesus and you live and it is a little bit awful sometimes, right? It gets hard. You're like, I gave my life to Jesus and I don't understand why things keep going wrong, right? Because you weren't told the entire story that there is, yes, a God who loves you, but there is an enemy that hates you, that you and me, we find ourselves in this life in the middle of a cosmic battle that has been raging from eternity past, that in heaven, God was worshiped and glorified by the angels. And one of the chief angels, his name was Lucifer or Satan, and he rebelled against God with one third of the angels and they were cast from heaven down to earth where then they began to lie and to tempt our first parents Adam and Eve she sinned they fell they rebelled and they were separated from God and that is the reason for all the pain problems hurts and hardships that we find in our lives it is because we are on the other side of enemy lines finding ourselves in the middle of a cosmic war that has been raging since eternity past it's not just you and God. There is real evil in this world. There is real wickedness in this world. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places that people are not our enemy, but the enemy is our enemy. And there is not just light. There is also darkness. There is good. There is evil. There is righteousness. There is rebellion. There is the Holy Spirit. There are unholy spirits known as demons. And there is God versus Satan. And you and me, we find ourselves in a cosmic battle. And so what do we need to to do as believers in order to experience the life that God has promised for us. We need to learn how to fight. We need to learn how to do what is called spiritual warfare. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds, which means we don't fight in the natural. No, we fight in the supernatural. And that the greatest weapon you have for this war is your worship. Let me give you an illustration to better help you understand. Let me just say, maybe you find out that there is someone who is going to break in and to rob your house. The Bible says that Satan comes to still kill and destroy. Let's say you have uh, someone who's gonna break into your house. What are you gonna do if you find out that somebody is gonna come and steal from you? Well, you would probably, first of all, call the police, amen? You would be like, I'm gonna call a higher authority to come and to protect me. That's what worship is. Worship is calling upon the highest authority and asking and inviting and calling upon God to come to your rescue, to come to your defense and to come and to be able to protect you. But that's not probably all you would do though. You would also arm yourself, right? I mean, you would probably grab a weapon, maybe a, a gun or maybe a bat. You would grab a, a weapon to be able to defend yourself as well, right? 
Now, I was gonna bring a gun, but I didn't want to scare the liberals. Um, <laughs> you would grab something to be able to defend yourself. You would probably also call some of your friends, right? I mean, you probably wouldn't call your artsy poet friend, Stefan, um, but you would call your friends like T-Bone and, and Billy Bob, right? You would, you would call Dory uh, from our worship team to come and be able to be able to sit with you and have a Bible study on the right hand of fellowship, amen, right? You would do something to be able to defend yourself and to be able to protect yourself. Well, here's what the Bible says. In Psalms, it says this, that your praise is actually a two-edged sword. And when you begin to lift up the praise of God, you are doing warfare against the enemy. Do you know that if you want to see breakthrough in your life, you need to learn how to worship. If you want to see God move in your life, you need to learn how to worship. If you want to see sins overcome and temptations be defeated, then you need to learn how to worship your God. If you want to see victory in your life, you need to learn how to lift up a shout of praise. If you want to see your friends get saved, you need to have a heart of worship before. If you want to see your marriage restored and taken to that next level, develop a heart of worship. If you want to see a legacy come from your children, then you show and model those children what a life of worship actually looks like. Because if you're sick and tired of being defeated and beat up and tired and weary, then my friends, I'm here to tell you, you need to learn how to worship God. Because when you worship, God begins to move in your life and worship is the way that we begin to win the war. Right, Worship is an act of spiritual warfare. It is lifting up a shout of praise. It is praising God for the victory, before the victory. It is calling upon the majesty and the supremacy and the glory and the might of a living and holy God. Here's what worship is. It is magnifying God's promise over your problems. It is rebellion against the world. It is an eviction notice against the enemy. It is a rally cry from Calvary. It is a call upon the God of angel armies to come and to do your defense. And here's what you need to know. When you know life is war, you'll know what worship is for. When you know that life is war, you will know what worship is for. Why do we worship God? Because life is war. Why do we praise God? Because there is pain, there is hurt, there is suffering, there is trials, there is tribulations, there is trouble in this life. Jesus doesn't say if you have trouble. He says when you have trouble. The Bible tells us that we find ourselves in a war, which is the reason we need to learn how to worship. So what we're going to see today is we're going to learn how worship is the way that we win our war. That was only my introduction. I'm already preaching, but um, I got five more points to be able to get through. And so we're gonna do an entire chapter of the Bible. First, our Second Chronicles chapter 20. We love the Bible here at Redemption, right? We love God's word. And so if it ain't God's word, we don't want it. But God's word teaches us what worship looks like. And a lot of you come from traditions where the way we worship might look a little bit different. But may I just submit to you, just lay aside your traditions and submit yourself under the scriptures. That we're not here to convert you to a denomination. We're not here to convert you into a tradition. We're here to surrender and submit our lives under the word of God. Listen, we don't worship God the way we want to. We worship the way that God tells us to. And in God's word, what we see is this, is that worship is an act of spiritual warfare. And so I'm going to read it all, starting in chapter 20, verse 1. Here's what we see. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Midianites, and the Cellulites, and the Termites, and all God's enemies came to wage 
war against Jehoshaphat. Who's so fat? Jehoshaphat. That's what it is. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it's already in Hezazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Listen, if you're reading the Bible and you get intimidated by the big words, just pretend like you know what you're saying, all right? Alarmed at this, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire from the Lord that he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. What are they doing? They are seeking God first in their lives. Indeed, they came from every town from Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms, over the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. What is he doing there? He is praising God, not just for what he does. He is praising God for who he is that he is reminding himself of the character and the nature of God before the battle, before he gets in the battle, he is reminding himself of who God is. He is seeking the face of God before he seeks the hand of God. Listen to that. That's the reason we worship, guys. We don't worship God for what he does for us. Yes, he does some amazing things. And we're gonna see in just a little bit what God does when we worship. But first and foremost, the reason we worship is not for what he does for us, but we worship him for who he is his nature, his character, and his goodness. The story continues, and, and here's what it says. It says, did you not give us this land, Israel, forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, where the sword of judgment or plague or famine will stand in your presence. For this temple that bears your name will cry out in our distress, and you will hear us and you'll save us. But now hear the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, Three enemies are attacking them whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away and they did not destroy them. See, now they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of our possession. You gave it as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power. Look at that. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Have you ever found yourself in that place where you're just in a war and you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? But her eyes are on you. When you don't know what to do, you lift up your eyes and you begin to worship the goodness of God. What's the context for this? The context here is that in 2 Chronicles, Israel has been at war for 60 years. 60 years with no peace. During the reign of Solomon, they had peace. Well, Solomon, he sins against God and the nation is divided in two. And for 60 years, every king that has come after them has been engaged in war and there's been no rest for the nation of Israel for 60 years. Some of us, we understand what that's like. It feels like in our life, we are constantly in a battle. We are always in a fight and we always find ourselves in the middle of a war. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18, here's what happens. They are in a war. They win the war. 19, they have a moment of rest. And then all of a sudden, chapter 20, they find themselves in another war. 
Isn't that how life goes sometimes though? Like you're in a battle, you finally get out of it, you take a deep breath and then you find yourself in what? Another battle. Like it's battle after battle. It is fight after fight. It is war after war. And you can barely take time to even catch your breath before there is another battle and an army that is on the horizon. Listen, as a pastor of this church, here's what I've come to understand is that there are three types of people. There are people who are either in a battle, just got out of a battle, or about to be in a battle. Some of you in this room, you're in a battle right now. Some of you in this room, you just got out of battle, which means you need to get ready because you're about to be in another battle. There's only three types of people. I have never met anyone who did not have scars from the wars that they have fought and the, the battles that they have been in. Some of your battles are financial. Some of them are relational. Some with your marriage, some with your children. Some of your battles you're facing are mental health, emotional health. Some of them are physical health. There might be a sickness or an illness that you find yourself up against. Some of your battles might be doubt or depression. Some of your battles might be questions. Some of your battles find your in this place and you're like, God, I don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? When you find yourself in a battle, when you find yourself in a fight, when you find yourself in the war, here's what you do. You set your eyes on him. You begin to worship him and to cry out for him and you begin to seek God first in your life. Now listen, I'm not the kind of guy who just believes that there is a demon behind every bush. Like I don't believe that every sickness is a cause of demonic influence. I don't believe that there is a demon that is out there popping tires on I-10, right? And just pulling you on the side of the road. You're like, oh my gosh, a demon got me. Like, no, I don't believe that. Like I'm not that kind of guy. But here's what I do know is that there are some people who deny demons and some people who give too many credit to demons. But that does not negate the fact that there is a real supernatural war and the war is not always on the outside, but the war is often on the inside. See, what Satan would love to do is he would love to get into your thoughts, to twist them and to corrupt them to where you feel defeated and discouraged, to where you begin to ask, well, does anybody really love me here? Does anybody really care for me? Does God really love me? Like Satan tempted Eve, did God really say? And now all of a sudden you're doubting the goodness of God. You're doubting the word of God. You're on YouTube and you're reading stories from deconstructionists. Maybe, maybe that's not the truth that the Bible had ever taught me anyway. And then all of a sudden the battle that was out there becomes the battle that is in here and the war is not out there the war is on the inside and the war is between your ears who are you going to trust who are you going to believe and who are you going to look to when life is hard are you going to look down and be discouraged or are you going to lift your eyes up and are you going to worship listen here's why this is so important my friends is you got to grasp this concept just like the nation of Israel when they didn't know what to do they looked to God here's what you need to know is that worship is your first response it is not your last resort before the war ever began they sought the Lord they cried out to the Lord and they began to worship God worship is your first response it is not your last resort some people wait until they're in the battle to begin to worship God some people wait until the final hour before they begin to worship God. And yes, God loves you and he'll answer and he'll show up. But I have to wonder how many battles would not be battles if we learned how to worship first? How many wars would not end in defeat if we learned how to worship God first? How many situations could you actually avoid if you learned to live a life of worship before the war? Some of y'all are in relationships you don't need to be in because you stopped worshiping God and you 
you started putting yourself in situations you had no business being in. You find yourself in financial troubles and it's not God's fault, it's your fault because you did something without seeking God first. Some of you, you're finding yourself in seasons. Maybe you're moving or maybe you're taking a new job or maybe you're transferring, whatever it may be. There's a big decision and a battle on the horizon this year in your life and you are not seeking God first. But can I just tell you, seek first the kingdom of God and the rest of these will be added unto you. When you put God first in your life, the rest is blessed. And worship, my friends, is not a last resort. No, my friends, worship is the first response that we do. We worship God before the battle ever begins. And so here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I want to give you five reasons why worship is an act of warfare. The first thing is this, is that worship establishes leadership. Do we have any people, any veterans, any people from the military in the room? Thank you. Thank you. Hey, let's give it up for their service. When you find yourself in a war, isn't leadership important? You need, to, you need to go to your leaders so that way they can give you your orders. Well, that's exactly what Israel does. They, 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 they begin to worship. And what you'll see is that worship establishes leadership in your life. Here's what it says. It, it says this in verse 13. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and their little ones stood before their Lord. Let me just say this. Men, it is your responsibility to lead your family in worship. As husbands, as fathers, it is your responsibility to set a culture of worship and God's presence in your home. As men, we are the spiritual leaders in our families. And listen, I love that the ladies love Jesus, but men do not get out-worshipped by your wife. It is your job to set an attitude of worship within your home because when you do, you create a legacy for those children. Statistically, if a wife comes to church but the husband stays home, the likelihood of the husband and the children converting is less than 20%. But if a man leads their family into church and sets that atmosphere, then 95% of the time, the wife and the children will go along with it. There's a spiritual principle behind men leading their families in worship. And here we see in Israel, what are they doing? The men are bringing their families, their women and children before the Lord. Men, you need to understand that there is a battle over your legacy. There's a battle over your future. In our nation, there's a battle against men. But the Lord is raising up mighty men who will begin to worship God, amen? That wasn't in my notes, that was free, let's go. And the children of the little ones stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jeziel and Zechariah and the son of Benaiah, the son of Jalel, and the son of Mananiah, Levite, the descendant of Asaph, as he stood. Woo, Bible college paying off. All right. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all those in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. So what is happening? There is a prophetic word that is going out. It is the word of the Lord for them. If you need wisdom, you need to seek the Lord because there is a wisdom that comes from the world and there is a wisdom that comes from the word of God. And so there is a word of God that is going out before them. And here's what it says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for prepare yourselves. The battle is not yours but it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them and they will be climbing up the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jeruel. 
and you will not have to fight this battle. Therefore, take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord is going to give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites, those are the priests, the pastors, and the Kohoatites and the Kohites stood up, and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 15. It says this, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. And then it goes, it says, for the battle is not yours. Whose battle is it? It's God's. And you will not have to fight this battle. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Who is the one who brings the victory? Who is the one who gives the marching orders? Who is the one who fights on their behalf? It is God's because God is the one who brings the victory. God is the one who fights on our behalf. It is the Lord who gives the battle plans. And this is the reason why we worship because it establishes God's leadership in our lives. That we turn and we trust God first. We seek direction as we seek divine intervention. See, worship says that God is the one in charge. Worship says, God, I'm putting my trust in you. Worship says, God, I am surrendering to you. And God, I am going to do whatever you say. I will obey because you are God and I am not. Listen, when you find yourself in this situation of troubles and trials and a battle, where do you turn to? Do you go to God or do you go to Google? Like, do you get on Facebook and vent all your problems or do you get on your face before the Lord and vent your problems to him? Like, do you ask wisdom from your friends or do you seek wisdom from the Lord? Do you, do you try to go around and figure it out? Or do you ask God to enter into that situation and to be able to give you the wisdom to be able to make the decision that you need? Listen, sometimes people, you're trying to fight the battle instead of just surrendering to God. You're carrying burdens you have no business carrying because you're trying to do it in your own effort or your own energy rather than inviting God's presence and his power into your life to be able to see him bring the victory that you're trying to accomplish on your own. I mean, people are always looking for different identities and different victories in every different situation. Some people turn to, to drugs or sex or alcohol to be an escape or to be released from them when what we really need to do is learn to turn and trust and begin to worship God because it is God who is the one who brings the victory. It is God is the one who brings the establishment and it is God who is the leader over our lives. We find ourselves making decisions without asking God for direction first. Listen, there is a difference between good ideas and God's ideas. Like a good idea is good, but you need God's wisdom for your life. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways, that his ways are higher. There is a way that seems right to man, but in God's eyes, it is not wise for us to do that. Seek first the kingdom of God, put him first in your life, and he will direct your path. Listen, there's a difference between good ideas and God's ideas. And when we find ourselves in a war, we don't need to trust in our energy or our ability or our intellect. We need to reach out to God to show up on his on our behalf and give us divine direction Amen. worship establishes leadership in your life who are you trusting in are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in God 
Are you trusting in your strength or are you trusting in God's strength? Are you trusting in your friends or are you trusting in the Lord to be able to give you direction for your life? Worship establishes leadership. Who is the leader of your life? Worship says, God, you're the one in charge. The second thing we see is that worship removes fear. Now, does worshiping make it easy? Not at all. Does worship mean that automatically all of your problems are going to go away and you're never going to have any other troubles ever again? No. See, worship doesn't change the situations that we are in, but worship changes our heart as we are in that situation. Like worship doesn't make all of our problems automatically go away, but it does change our perspective when we're in the middle of those problems. And so we worship God because as we do, we invite his presence into our lives and he begins to change our hearts even while we are in the middle of that battle. Worship, it says, it, it, tells, it removes fear. Look what it says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face him tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Listen, my friends, God will fight your battle, but you still have to face your battle. Some people wish that God would just do it and they didn't have to do anything. God doesn't say, all right, boys, hey, I got it from here. Why don't y'all just go back to Israel and just hang out and just kick your feet up and relax for a while. I'm gonna take it. No, God says, you're gonna have to face this battle, but I'm gonna fight it for you. Listen, God doesn't bring us around the valley of the shadow of death, but he will bring you through it. So you have to face that battle. I don't know what your battle is. I don't know what it is, but you have to face it. You gotta stop running from it. You gotta stop excusing it. You gotta stop justifying it. And you need to stand up and fight against it and face that battle. Face the thing you're afraid of. Face it through worship and God will begin to remove that fear as he fights the battle on your behalf. After last week's sermon, there was a woman in our church who texted me. As we we're talking about worshiping and freedom and spirit and truth, she messaged me. She said, Pastor, you know, I've always been a person who, who worships in, 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 in spirit and truth. And I've always found such joy in worship. But just a few weeks ago, me and my husband, we had a miscarriage. And I'm angry at God. And I have a hard time trusting God. And I don't feel free whenever I worship. And when you say, lift up a shout of praise, it's just really difficult. And when you say God is good all the time, I struggle to believe it. Could you talk a little bit about how to worship God when you don't feel like worshiping him? And my heart broke as she sent that because my heart breaks for any woman who's in that situation because me and Ashley, we went through that as well. You know, the first time Ashley came to me and she said, I'm pregnant, my, my heart was filled with joy. And then we went to the doctor to get the ultrasound and the doctor said those two words, most painful words in the English language, I'm sorry. And then five years of infertility that followed that. And yeah, we love the Lord, but we were doing it out of obedience and there wasn't a whole lot of joy in it. Say, so God, I'm gonna worship you, but I don't really like it or feel like it right now. And our hearts became angry and bitter or frustrated and there was so much anxiety. Will we ever be able to have a family? Like, I don't know if, you know, men, if you understand the pain that women go through when they have miscarriages. Because, for, because for, for women, like, it's not talked about a lot. You're not alone. One out of four women actually have them. But it is a, a silent suffering that women go through. Because it's not only the grief of the miscarriage, but now it is the anxiety of, will we ever get pregnant? It is every month you're wondering, is this the month? 
And then it passes and goes by and then you're let down and you're discouraged again. And then you begin to wonder, am I actually a woman? Can I actually bring forth life into this world? Why can't I produce life? And then that infertility rises up and that anxiety and that war that begins happening inside of women's minds during this season. And I understand what it's like because I walked through it. Israel's walking through it. They don't have one battle. Now they have three enemies. There's grief and there's pain and there's heartache and there's fear and there's worry and there's anxiety. The word here, when it talks about Jehoshaphat, it says he was alarmed, which is a terrifying. He was fearful and he was afraid in this moment. So what do you say to a person who doesn't feel like worshiping? What I would tell you from my experience is this. Did you worship him anyway? You worship him anyway. Because we don't walk by faith or feelings, rather. We walk by what? Faith. We are not led by our emotions, but rather we are led by the Spirit. And if you begin to worship God and operate in faith, I will tell you that your feelings will begin to follow that. As you begin to lift up God, he will begin to lift you up as well. And as you begin to sing praises to God, then God's presence will be close and near to you for he is an ever-present help for us even in our times of need. Listen, when you feel it the least, that's when you need to worship God the most. Whenever you're the most discouraged, begin to edify yourself, begin to sing praises before the Lord. When you feel it the least, that's when you begin to worship God the most. We don't walk by feelings, but by faith. And what will happen is eventually your feelings will begin to follow your faith. Listen, worship may not change the situation, but it will change your heart in the middle of the situation. Worship may not remove all of your problems, but it will give you God's presence even when you are in the middle of that problem. He will give you the strength, He will give you the confidence, and He will give you the courage to stand up and to face your fears while you begin to watch God fight your battles. Worship him even when you don't feel like it. And when you feel it the least, my friends, that's when you need it the most. Worship the Lord. The third thing is that worship begins to win the war. How do we win the war? We win by worshiping. Early this morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. Listen, I'm not a guy who's like, all into like, you must do it this way and the rigid legalism that a lot of people might've grew up in that does not mean I believe we're under the new covenant of grace, but that doesn't mean that principles from the Old Testament still don't apply to our lives. And people ask me, they say, when is the best time to worship? Really any time's a good time to worship, but I believe the best time to worship is in the morning. When's the best time to pray? It's, I believe it's in the morning. When's the best time to spend time with God? I believe it's in the morning. Before you start your day, Start with prayer. Before you pick up your phone, pick up your Bible. Before you turn on the TV or turn on the news, you pick up the good news and you spend some time in the presence of God. Anytime's a good time, but I believe the morning is the best time. And they say that they begin to worship in the morning as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to sing praises and splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Listen, men, you need to sing. It says here the men were singing. Men, you need to sing. You're like, but I don't like singing. Well, it doesn't matter. You say, but I'm not good at singing. Me neither, but you ain't singing, you're worshiping. And you don't gotta be a good singer to be a good worshiper. 
But the Bible says men are to sing. Men sing praises to the Lord. Paul says, I desire that all men would lift up their holy hands and not in anger, but in worship before God. Men, something changes when men begin to sing, when men begin to worship. Something happens when men lift up a shout of praise. It is biblical for men to worship God. So men, I just encourage you. I love the men of our church. We got some mighty men in this church. And men, let us set an example before our families what worship and the heart of worship looks like in our homes and in this church. Let us be a church filled with some men who love to praise God, right? Amen. There we go. And as they begin to sing praises, God set ambushes among the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir as they were invading Judah and they were defeated. And the Ammonites and the Moabites, now all of a sudden, this, this group is defeated. Now these two groups get up and what do they do? They go and they begin to attack the men of Mount Seir and they destroy and they annihilate them. And when they are finished with the men from Mount Seir, they turn around and they destroyed one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, all of a sudden, what did they see? Nothing but dead bodies lying on the ground and no one escaped. God is so metal, amen? <laughs> that is amazing, but, but here's what I love. Here's what I love about this, is that, is that the reason why God does things like this is because God wants the glory from the story. The reason why we let God fight our battles is because when God wins, we can't take any credit for it. That, that God gets the glory as he begins to work in our lives. That we want to give God the glory with the story of our lives. That's how God loves to do it. So here's how God begins to fight this battle. Listen, you just got to understand this. Just imagine as you read the text, imagine how, okay, God says, hey, I'm going to fight this battle. Y'all get ready. Y'all go up there and just watch and see what I'm going to do. But first, I need to send out. Who did he send out? The singers. He sent the worship team. He's like, y'all want to see something amazing? Let's send all of the worship team to go on the front lines of this war. I mean, like, just think about it. You got it right here. You got, like, all of your mighty men of valor. You got all the, 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 the strong men, the mighty men. You got all the, the intimidating men. And then all of a sudden, you got your, your worship team. And he says, send out the people with the tambourines. <laughs> and they're like, worship the Lord, worship the Lord. And what's incredible about this is that it was the worshipers that invited God's glory. And that's when God showed up and won the war. Do you ever wonder why churches have worship before the message? Do you ever wonder why we worship before the sermon? Here's the reason why. It's because worship begins to invite the presence of God in this place. And when we worship him first, there is a spiritual war that is going on all around us. And the Lord is fighting a battle in the supernatural realm. And he is preparing our hearts to be able to receive the victory that comes from the living holy word of God. And that worship. Now, some people say, well, God is everywhere. Of course God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. 
Like God was here before I got here and I got here at seven o'clock. The worship team gets here at six o'clock, but God was already waiting for them. But just because God is omnipresent, don't negate the understanding and the reality of the manifest presence of God in your life too. That God is everywhere, yes, but God is here. And when we begin to worship God, what we are doing is we are opening ourselves up to an awareness of God and his presence. And as we begin to lift up our praise, what it says is God inhabits the praises of his people. Yes, he is omnipresent, but when we worship him, he is actually present in his manifest presence with us in this place. And God begins to bring victory in lives all across this room whenever we as a church begin to worship him. Listen, here's what you understand. Worship gives you access to a power you don't possess. Like when you begin to worship him, God's presence brings power into your lives. Worship gives you access to a power you don't possess. Listen, on your own, you can't do it. On your own, you are not strong enough. You are not smart enough. You are not intellectual enough. You are not talented enough. You are not special enough. I know in our generation, everyone was taught that you are a snowflake and you're special and you're unique and you're kind and that you're a good person and everybody should just bow down to you. No, That is a lie straight from the pits of hell because you are not special. You are not worth, you're not perfect. You are not unique. No, you and me and every single one of us on our own, we are not enough. You don't need self-help. You need God's help for your life. My friends, this is the story of the gospel. Here's what the gospel is, that you and me, we are sinners separated from a living and holy God. We are slaves bound by our conscience and our choice and that there is nothing that you could ever do to earn your salvation or to be good enough to make your way to heaven, that you are not a good person. There is only one person who is good and that is God and every single one of us has sinned and rebelled against him and the wages of sin is is death. You are not through your good deeds. You are not saved through your good works and you are not saved through your good vibes. We are only saved through the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ comes from heaven to earth and he makes a way for us that on your own you can't. That's why God sent Jesus because Jesus did it all and Jesus paid it all and Jesus won the victory from the cross on Calvary as he defeats the enemy and he gives us new life both now and forevermore. My friends, this is the gospel. And what did Israel do in order to win this war? What did Israel do? Nothing. What do you need to do in order to get saved? Nothing. Would you add to your salvation through good works? Nothing. What do you need to do in order to be saved? Nothing. Because Jesus did it all. All you have to do is to receive And walk in the victory that Jesus won 2,000 years ago on Calvary's Hill. All you need to do is to receive the victory that God has already done. It is worship that wins the war. Listen, I'm already over time, so I'm going to say this. Is that there are people in our society that are looking for power in all the wrong places. I mean, I can't tell you how many people who are... Generation Z who are looking for power in crystals, tarot cards, demonic activity, new age, looking for peace through doing yoga or bending themselves in pretzels, 
trying to access some sort of power. My friends, that is nothing but a demonic manipulation and a counterfeit to the power and the gospel that Christ offers for you through the Holy Spirit and Jesus. You're looking for power. Some people are looking for power through, through, through sexual identity, through LGBTQ+, or maybe through transgenderism. They're looking for identity in, sex, in hookups and shackups and breakups. They're looking for it in all of these places, thinking that this is going to empower them. Women's empowerment movements are nothing more than just destructive ideologies of Satan that are tearing down the fabric of our society. People are looking for power in all the wrong places. My friends, if you want access to a true power, it comes when you begin to lift up your praise and you put God first in your life and you repent of your sins and you walk in the freedom that he has available to you. My friends, that is true power. When you say the steadfast love endures forever, that the covenant of God endures forever. And I am going to line myself up with the king and the kingdom and not live according to the culture. And I am going to surrender my life to the greatest power that there is. And I'm going to call upon the highest authority that there is and he will save me and he will change me and he will transform me and he will move me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and he will translate me from one glory to the next. My friends, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know power. If you're here today and you don't know God, you don't know power. You don't understand the love and the strength and the grace. You don't get real peace. You don't get it. But when you give your life to Jesus, there is a power to overcome sin. There is a power that will set you free. There is a power that will break strongholds. There is a power that will rewrite your destiny. There is a power when God's people love to worship him. Come on, somebody. Let's worship God right now. Oh, there is a power. My friends, there is power. Woo, I still got to go. All right, hold on. Y'all just tell third service when we get out late that it was good, all right? Worship celebrates the victory. Jehoshaphat and the men, they went and they carried all the plunder. And they found among them the great equipment and clothing and articles of value. Oh, listen to this. And they were so much that it took them three days to collect. I just want you to see every story in the Bible preaches the message of Christ. How long was Jesus in that tomb? Three days. And after three days, they began to receive the benefits of the God who fights on their behalf. Jesus was in that tomb for three days. And as he resurrected, what the Bible tells us is that now we are co-heirs with Christ. And we have an inheritance both now and forevermore. That all of the benefits of God have now been afforded to us. Because, because of Jesus, we become sons and daughters. And we receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. Three days and on the fourth day, what do they do? Oh, it says they assembled in the Valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord. This is why they call it the Valley of Baraka to this day. This is fascinating. This is why I want you to study the Bible, church. Because when you dig in and when you learn, there's some incredible things that you find. And you might wonder, okay, the Valley of Baraka, strange names, Jehoshaphat, Jezreel, Menon, whatever. And you're like, okay, Baraka, it's another crazy word. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you take your finger and you look down your Bible at the very bottom, there'll be an asterisk. And if you go and you look at that asterisk, here's what it says. They renamed that place the Valley of Blessings. 
Come on, somebody that's going to preach right now that the battle you are in, God will turn it around and he will bring blessing into your life. Listen, God will turn your battles into blessings. Some of y'all want the blessings of God, but you ain't prepared for a battle. You ain't ready to worship him in the middle of the war. And unless you go through the battle, you will not understand the blessings. And unless you go through the worship, you will not be able to win your war. But when you learn to worship, when you learn to praise him, when you learn to seek his face God will take that battle he will turn it around and he will bring a blessing out of it what the enemy meant for evil God he will use for good what the devil tried to steal from you God he is going to restore to you see where the 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 devil speaks death God he speaks life God speaks a better promise God speaks a better word God speaks a better future God speaks a better destiny where there is pain God brings promise where there is struggle God he brings salvation and sanctification and where there is regret God is going to turn it around and he's going to use it for his glory and for many sons and daughters to come and to know him through that listen my friends if you will worship him in the war God will turn your battles into blessings and there's some people right now you are in a battle and your hands are weary and your hands are tired and you're so consumed with the problems here's what we need to do church we need to lift up our praise when you're in the battle Oh, you just keep worshiping him and you watch him see blessings in your life. You wonder, why do we worship so freely here at Redemption? Oh, my friends, it's because we have been set free so much. Oh, we know that there are blessings on the other side of this battle. And so we persevere and we don't give up and we don't give in and we hold firm and we stand fast and we worship him even when we find ourselves in the middle of this war. We worship him anyways because we believe on the other side there is a blessing, oh, that God has in store for us. As we call the worship team up, I'm going to close and I want to read you how the story ends. Number five, we worship as we declare freedom. Here's what it says. And they led Jehoshaphat, led by him and all the men of Jerusalem. They returned joyfully to Jerusalem. My friends, we have reason to worship with joy. People say, I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Okay, great. Now tell your face. Like I'm worshiping him. So they came and they had joy for the Lord, giving them the cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered into Jerusalem and they went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. And the fear of the Lord came upon all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard the Lord and how he fought against their enemies. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him what? What's the word? Rest on every side. 60 years. They're in a war. No rest and no peace. And then they worship God. And what does God do in return? He gives them rest and he gives them peace. My friends, do you need rest? Do you need peace? Are you in a war? 
Are you in a battle? Are you in a situation? Are, are, are you finding yourself in a, in a moment where it's just raging all around you? When the war is raging around you, you can still have a peace that is inside of you. You can still have a rest that is inside of you because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross in your place. He is our rest and He is our peace and His presence will go before us and make a way in our lives. But then look at this, that's not all. That's not all, that's not all, that's not all. Look what it says right here. If you look down, it says, and then the nations around them heard and it put the fear of the Lord in them. I want you to understand something, is that your worship is a witness to the goodness of God. Like when you can worship Him in a battle, you know what that says to your family, to your co-workers? You know what that says to your friends and to the non-believing world in Beaumont? Like when there is a church that has such an attitude and a culture of worship that we're not worshiping from His hand, but we're worshiping for His heart, that we're not seeking God for what He does, but who He is, that even when we are in moments of suffering and trials and tribulations and persecution and war, we are still a church that loves to worship. You know what happens? People say, why do you do that? How do you have that? Like, like you're going, you lost a child, and yet you still have joy? How has that happened? Like your, 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 your husband left you, and yet you're still not denying your God? How does that happen? Like you're, you, 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 you're, you're an addict, and now God is delivering you from that. How does that happen? How do you have that when the whole world is stressed and anxious and fearful and afraid and they are all rioting and revolting and rebellion and angry? Just read the comment section and watch the news, guys. This world is not doing well. People are hurting and they're angry and they're bitter. And then yet for us as the church, even in the middle of all of that, we still have a joy how does that happen? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about the, the victories that he has won for me and the battles he has fought for me and the wars that I'm going through. And yeah, sure, I got some scars on me, but you know what? He has never forsaken me. He has never left me. He has never abandoned me. He has never turned his back on me. He has always been faithful and he is always right there with me. And even though I am in the valley of the shadow of death, I know that his rod and staff, they comfort me and I will get through this because God, he will do this. And I trust in him and I believe him. And if God God's word says it. I believe it. That settles it. I am placing my trust and faith in Jesus and he gives me a joy. He gives me a strength. And so I worship him. And as you begin to worship and as we develop a church that loves to worship, your worship will become a witness to your unbelieving friends and a lost and dying world. It declares the victory and it declares the freedom that we've had. People ask to say, why, why, why does redemption worship so passionately? Oh, it's because we've been set free of so many things. We know what God has done for us. So I can't help but get passionate about my King. I can't help but get passionate about my God. Oh, my friends, if you just knew how good God was, you could not contain yourself. 
If you knew, listen, God has been fighting battles on your behalf. You ain't even no clue what is going on. I love what John Piper says. John Piper, he says this. He says, God is doing 10,000 things all around you and you might only be aware of two of them. That is the God that we serve. So friends, I'm gonna close with this as we all stand. What do you do? Three things. Number one, you worship Him when? Before the battle. God can help you later, but He'd rather help you now. If you have a big decision to make, seek first the kingdom of God, and the rest of these will be added unto you. Worship God first. Worship Him before the battle. Number two, worship Him during the battle. Then number three, worship Him after the battle.